0: We're thankful, Lord, that you have opened our eyes by your grace and by your spirit to understand the gospel, to understand the good news of salvation. We thank you, Lord, for uh, shining light into dark hearts and into blind eyes so that we can see the face of Christ, so that we can understand the, the power of your grace, so that we can know you and be known by you. We're thankful, Lord, for your work of redemption. And as you call us now to share that good news with others, I pray that you would equip us today. Give us a clear understanding of the gospel, and um, prepare us so that we can be faithful servants of you, ambassadors for Christ, who represent you and who proclaim the good news to those who are still in darkness, those who still need to hear. So Lord, be with us this morning, and I pray that this time of instruction would strengthen this church so that we can faithfully discharge the mission you've given us. Amen. So the last several weeks, we've been um, embarking on a a new course topic uh, on evangelism, We've sought to define what evangelism itself is, what is evangelism, um, and and why should we evangelize. Um, But before we go any further, we really need to take time talking about the gospel, the message itself. So I mentioned, I think, in the first week that Stephen and myself and Dan Rudman will be teaching through this class. So Dan's going to come teach today. Dan's been a member of our church for, I think, at least a year now, close to a year. He's been attending for several years And if you don't know Dan, um, he has spent the last 25, 30 years, something like that, um, longer than I've known him, that's for sure, uh, doing evangelistic ministry, um, teaching on evangelism, teaching on apologetics, teaching on biblical worldview. Uh, He's done training overseas for church planters and missionaries um, and equipping them to understand the doctrine of scripture and what it looks like to have a ministry that flows out of God's word. So I've asked him to come and, and help Um, teach and so you'll see him intermittently as we go through this class so Dan's going to take the next couple weeks and just help define for us what is the gospel what is this message itself and sort of unpack that so uh, I know from his years of study God's word and also his years of teaching and training he's excited to come share some of that overflow with us so I trust you'll be blessed by that Dan you come and teach us all right
1: didn't mention too, J.D., you don't have to apologize, but my wife, Tina, if you don't know her too, so she's, she keeps me in track, on track. So we had a great talk morning. She wondered this morning, she said, are you nervous about this? And I said, no, this is kind of my, my life and my wheelhouse stuff, so I just love talking about this stuff. Here's going to be the great problem we're going to have in the class is me not talking too much <laughs> because there's so much to talk about when we talk about this. So um, right now, as a, just a practical aspect, there's a, some notes going around. And I didn't know how many people would be here a few weeks ago. I mean, there was maybe close to 100. So I made 50 copies, so I was thinking one per family unit sort of thing for now. And if we need more, we can. Um, I'll be uh, reflecting on this this morning, but my intention right now is you don't even need to look at that right now unless you want to. But um, uh, I want you to take that with you, because this is what we're really going to unpack over the next two or three weeks, maybe four weeks. And, uh, and it starts with this whole title, Thinking Through the Gospel, and we're going to look at a uh, number of scriptures together to think through this as we think this word gospel. And of course, my guess is m- many of you know this word gospel isn't a normal word we use every day. I mean, we as Christians do, but the culture doesn't. And it simply means amazing news, good news. There's something people need to know. And so this morning, let's, let's just think through this together. I want to think through some scriptures with you that might be familiar. We can look at them here. Uh, Romans 1, 15 and 16 this kind of starts my time this morning because this was Paul, and I want you to think about this. He's writing this great uh, document, Romans, the letter to the Romans, and you remember this is like his theological treatise. I mean, this is the big one, right? And he's sending it to Rome, and notice what he says. So for my part, and he's writing to Christians in Rome, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. But notice, he's speaking to Christians, and he says, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you. And he's actually saying that to Christians. Isn't that interesting? Because he said, it's powerful, and you need to hear this. And then practically, when you think of the book of Romans, and again, this kind of sets up our, uh, the next number of weeks I'm going to spend time with you, I want you to think about this. Rome was the center of the known world at that time. You know, you could send, you could send a, a mail from Rome and it would get in Jerusalem in a, literally a week or eight or nine days, believe it or not. They had road systems. They had a system in place that would blow our minds. And so here Paul comes and he knows that if he gets the gospel planted in the middle of Rome, it's going to go to the whole world. And that's why when you... Read through this incredible letter of Romans. It's so theologically astute and sound because he knew if I place it there, it's going to go. Isn't that great? And so he says, I want to come to you and preach this thing called the gospel because it is powerful. Peter, Peter's going to leave the world pretty soon. He is publicly talking about Jesus Christ as Lord. Big deal. Contrary. He's writing in Rome, he's writing to all these Christians, and he's writing publicly and saying, Caesar can say he's the Lord God, but he's not. Jesus is the Lord God. And he's actually saying that publicly, and he knows by saying that it's going to mean his neck. He's going to be killed. And so he's writing to these Christians in the first and second letter, and he says, therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been entrusted In the truth, which is present with you. So he says, I know you know this, but I'm gonna go over it and over it and over it and over it. Now, as you go through the scripture, there's a couple different ways of thinking about gospel, and I'm gonna emphasize a a latter part here in a minute where we're gonna spend all our time. But you will see in these conversations when you're reading and theologically that there is the big picture story. And maybe you're familiar with this. It's called creation, there's the creation story. There's the fall of man, there's the redemption of man, and there's the consummation of man. Everything all brought together in the end under Christ. And there's a sense, and there's many theologians and many writing that would emphasize this big story. We need to talk about the big story, and we do. But specifically in this class, as we talk about evangelism, as J.D. talked last week, what we want to emphasize is this reality of the proclamation, In the center of this big story of, you know, creation, fall, redemption, consummation, a big systematic, you could say, at the big picture, there is a proclamation It's often called the kerygma. There is a message that is to be delivered in the middle of this whole thing. And Romans 10, 14, again, you guys are familiar with probably a lot of these passages. How then? Are they to call to him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they have not heard? And how are they to hear without a preacher? And that actual Greek word there is heralder. One who heralds. One who, even the imagery is somebody standing on a street corner and heralding. You know, they would send messengers out. You know, they didn't have notes like this. They would stand on a corner and say, hear ye, hear ye. And they would make these announcements. That's what he's saying. This is, this is a message to be proclaimed, to be heralded. Mark 16, 15, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach. The root word of that preach is kerygma. Go herald the gospel to all creation. Right? I always want to laugh when I see that to all creation. That's what I do in the fall when it's deer hunting season now. <laughs> I go sit in the woods and I preach to all creation. No, he's saying, go herald this. Go proclaim this to the whole world. And the next thing I want you to think about this morning with me is this idea of the knowledge from God. We have to understand this is knowledge from God. And this is, I don't know, I probably won't spend a lot of time this morning, but I thought as I was going through my notes and setting up our time this morning, I was telling J.D. earlier, this couldn't go longer because you could spend, you could do a whole lesson, I mean, weeks of lessons on this idea of knowledge. Um, it's the big issue of our culture. So let me give you an example real quick of why why I want to take a few minutes and hit this this morning. So I heard the stories told one time. I didn't see the episode, but it was an Oprah episode. And on Oprah, they were talking, and she was talking about God. And somebody in the audience raised the question and said, but Oprah, I don't believe in God. And she said, wow. you believe in love, don't you? And that woman was like, yeah, I believe in love. She says, well, that's God for you then. That's God for you. Now, when she says that, the question, when I heard this theologian give this example, and it's a wonderful question, he asked the audience like I'm going to ask you right now, what do you hear? When she says that, actually, what do you hear? Because you see, Oprah had had how many interviews with different people and people on her show, right? If she had had an oncologist on the show... Cancer doctor, and somebody in the audience was struggling with some cancer, and they had a question about cancer, and they asked, Well, you know, my you know, my nephew has this unique cancer and, the, and asked these questions. The question is, do you think Oprah would, would stand up and address this person and explain to them their question about cancer? No, she wouldn't. She would rely on the oncologist because the oncologist has knowledge. Years and years and years of studying all the nuances and all the details of this particular cancer. So what is it you hear Oprah saying when she stands up and tells this woman, well, you believe in love, so that's God. Now here's what you're really hearing, and it's a cultural phenomena. Phenomena, you could call it that, and an ideology. It's, it's cultural, and it's in all of us if we're not careful. And I'm not talking about just some liberal church somewhere. I'm telling you, it's in us. It's an understanding of knowledge. The idea of knowledge, right, is... It's a reality given to us that represents, it's, it's, it's a propositional truth, it's a propositional statement that actually represents reality. It's fact. It's something given to us. What Oprah is doing when she's commenting on God is she doesn't think, when we think in theological terms, that there's real knowledge. Because if it was cancer, or my wife doing her, I was giving that example to my wife, and her doing her flowers, and she has to trim up all these dahlia bulbs a certain way, you can't just put a bunch of people in the room and say, well, what do you think, and what do you think, and what do you think, and what do you think? And I've been you know, in Christian ministry actually 35 years now, J.D., and I've sat in numerous settings where Christians will go, well, I think this, and I think this, and I think this about a Bible verse. And I want to say, now, I understand what you're doing. You're trying to understand this thing. But there's real knowledge here on the table. And it can't be, what's 2 plus 2? It can't be 5 and 7 and 3 and 4 and, well, we'll just take an average of it. No, two plus two is four. And so what God has given us in his word, folks, is knowledge. And this gospel is actual knowledge that comes from the heavenlies and has been given to us. And it's not up for grabs. It's not opinion. It's not my idea. Thank you. But isn't that, isn't that something? We need, to, we need to get gripped with that. And then, this is that sort of stuff that I get all kind of emotional about because I didn't attain this knowledge. It was given to me. My eyes were open to it one day, 40 years ago, sitting in a university, reading the Bible and going, this is true. No, there's all sorts of reason behind it. There's all sorts of facts behind it. There's all sorts of historic prophecies behind it. There's all sorts of stuff. But at the end of the day, knowledge was brought to me. And we have to understand, as we're thinking about this gospel, this is what has happened. 1 Corinthians one twenty one. for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Think of it: We go preach this message and God does something with it. It's way beyond me. Romans 16, 25. Catch this one. I love this one. Now to him who is able to establish you according, look what he says, to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past. Now think about this. Have you ever stopped to think that when you are speaking the gospel to people, you're not selling them TVs or cars. or You are literally speaking the very words of Jesus Christ my Lord and God who created me gave me a message and said, go tell people. It's the message of God, and it's been given to every one of you in this room that knows Christ. That should just, can we start worshiping now? (laughs) And you spoke about that last week, right? That's why evangelism is worship, y'all. Like, I didn't come up with this. None of us came up with this. It was delivered to us. It was given to us. Look at another passage, one of my favorites when I think about the work of evangelism as a whole. But thanks to be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. Always. Always. You cannot um, fail in this thing, except for fail to do it. Always leads us to triumph in Christ and through us reveals the fragrance of the knowledge of him. See the word knowledge again? In every place, for we are a fragrance of Christ to God. Every time I show up and preach the gospel, I am giving an aroma to my Father. And it's an aroma of Christ. Among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Isn't that something? To the one, it's an aroma from death to death. To the other, an aroma from life to life. And look, at he says, who is adequate for these things? Like, I can't even sort that out. I just know that when I preach, it may be like Noah, and I'll preach for 100 years and Hopefully, a few of my family members will listen, and everybody else will reject it. Not my business. I can grieve. I can work through it. God knows all that. He sent me, you know, he's going to make us fishers of men. But the reality at the end of the day is it is a sweet aroma of Christ to God, whether people accept it or they don't accept it. For a lot of people, we're calling judgment down. That gospel is actually bringing judgment to people. People are going to stand before God, and I don't think it's this simple, and he's going to, they're going to go, "Well, oh, we didn't know. Yeah, you did, Mike told you. Mike told you, right? Lori told you. Lori tried to tell you this. You were unwilling to listen? Yeah. Colossians 1, 9, and 10. I just read this in the last couple of days. I inserted it in here. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard about it, have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God it's not man's knowledge y'all I mean like God brought this to us right so as we get into this gospel um I wanted that as all introduction as we start you know I'm going to kind of dive into these sheets I've given to you now and say let's really think fully through the gospel now, in weeks to come, we will say, and if you were with me, I've literally been through a drive through I remember the day. drive through Burger King. Gal had a cross on her chest or on her neck. Nobody behind me, nobody in front of me. In about 90 seconds, I shared the gospel with her. I've stood in lines here in town to share the gospel with people checking me out. Oh, do you ever think about that? I write checks. People don't write checks anymore. That's just those old people that write checks. Yeah, 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 you know. Say, but you know, as you get older, you start thinking of life and death. You ever think about life and death? Yeah, I think about it all the time, but they tell me I'm not supposed to talk about it. I said, really? Sixty seconds I share the gospel with her. Pointer to the Bible. So there's a sense in which once we understand the depths of the gospel, you can put pieces of it all over the place all the time. But what we're here to do is spend a couple, of week, couple of weeks and do this like deep dive and think fully through it not necessarily as this is how I would present it to people, but that it would be deep in our minds. It would be a deep understanding. And then from there, we will learn as weeks to come, if you want to talk about methodology or practicality, whatever, you want to, whatever term you want to use, we'll talk about, well, how do, you, how do you talk to people about this? But that's why I wanted you guys to have copies of this. J.D. and I met and I said, I'd like you guys to go home. I'd love you to spend the next two, three weeks reading through that. Looking all those passages up, there's a boatload of stuff in there. But just really taking a deep dive and thinking through, what is this gospel? And thinking about it for yourself, too. Have I trusted the gospel? Remember even Paul coming there. One of the early things I learned years ago in ministry, I was involved in evangelist ministry, and we do training in churches. And just hundreds of people coming to learn how to share their faith in different things. And, one, and the older men that were training me, and I was just in my late 20s, they, they would always say, never assume, never assume, never assume. We've been in our conferences where we're training in evangelism, where we've seen pastors come to faith in Christ. John Wesley was like that. He was here in the States. If you guys know the story of Wesley, he was here as a missionary down in Georgia to the Indians, natives. And uh, he came from the Church of England, and it was on the way back on the ship. And we were in these huge storms, and a lot of people were panicking, but there were these groups of Christians that were just praying and singing hymns and not panicking. It was the Moravians. And he says, they have something that I don't have. And he went to them, and they led him to Christ. And he was already here in the States as a missionary for the church. So even as I come with you all this morning, never assume, never assume, never assume. I want you to hear the gospel. I want it to thrill your soul. So let's jump in, and we'll see how far we can go. We've got another 25 or 20, 20 minutes. And, so the beginning with, if we're going to think this through, we start with the reality of God, the personal, infinite God, is the absolute foundation. He is the perfectly just and loving creator. You know, everybody, and we'll get more, maybe more of this in weeks to come when we talk about apologetics, but whether people think it through or not, everything you believe today, everything anybody in this city believes, it doesn't matter what it is, mathematic fact, something about a relationship, any thought they have has a prior thought to that thought. And any thought that was, they had a prior thought to that thought. And then they had a prior thought to that thought. And do you know if you trace that all the way back like a domino effect, you have to come to a beginning point that's self-existence and it's sitting there. And it actually is. Now most people don't think that through. But if you do, you have to come to a point. And you're going to come to one of two points. Either the personal, infinite God who actually exists is there. Or Nothing. And to come up with nothing, there is no such thing as no thing, right? It's actually irrational. It's actually irrational. We could have a whole discussion about that when we get into apologetics. But everything we believe starts with a fundamental foundation that you step on, you go, there it is. And the first one is the personal infinite God is the absolute foundation. He's the absolute foundational premise. The personal infinite God is the self-existent beginning point and source of all there is. Think of Genesis 1 through 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and desolate emptiness. And darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And then look at 3. Love this. Then God said. Have you ever thought about that? Let there be light. God spoke everything into existence with his words. And we'll get into this more, but have you ever considered... You don't have a thought that's not connected to a word. You, know, you can't have a thought right now. If you have any thought in your mind, and you'll be a word associated with it. Why is that? Animals don't do that. They make all sorts of sounds. You know, I, I'm going to be out turkey hunting in a week or two, and I'm going to be talking to turkeys. I do. It's fun, man. I got a little grandson who his, his mother... My daughter-in-law speaks like six or seven languages, so he's, you know, always around language, so I took him turkey hunting. And I, I says, Noah, and that gobbler was out there gobbling, you know, I says, do you know what he's saying? No, Grandpa, what's he saying? He's, he's saying, shoot me, shoot me. <laughs> <laughs> Think of words. Words. God created words. And this is a huge discussion. Do you know people in our culture today, this, this plays itself all the way out into your, your public political life. Maybe you hear this. Have you ever heard anybody talking about the Constitution being a living letter? Or original traditionalists, constitutionalists? You see, what's happening in your culture today is people think words have no meaning, which is kind of interesting, right? They'll say, words have no meaning. I'm like, well, didn't you just use words to tell me words have no meaning? <laughs> But seriously, this is a serious construct. You go to KU today and this is why they they come to this. Okay, Think about this. There's two... Let's just pretend there's no God. It doesn't make sense to me at all, by the way. But let's just try to get there for a moment. And there's these two cavemen sitting somewhere out in some bush somewhere. And this one cave guy looks up and goes, leaf, leaf. And the other guy goes, leaf, leaf. Now here's the reality. The second guy guy B, couldn't get in the mind of guy A. How does he know what he's really pointing at? Is he pointing at the shape? Is he pointing at the color? Is he pointing at the little veins? Is he pointing at the branch? Is he pointing at the sky? What's he actually pointing at? And what is it that he's saying is a leaf? Well, that's the domino. Well, all of a sudden you get down the road and say, well, how could we ever know what anybody really meant? 20 years ago or 50 years ago or 60 years ago. How can we ever know what the Constitution meant? We can't get in the mind of those guys and know exactly what they meant. So it's just a living letter, and we'll take the words and make them what we want them to be because we can't get in the mind of those people. Now, here's the interesting thing. I hope I'm not losing you, um, but I want you to think a little bit. Is that if there is no God, they're right. How can I, how can I know what's in a friend of my? My wife and I have conflict sometimes. You guys all know what this is like. I'm like she's, she thinks she's saying one thing, and she knows exactly what she's saying. It's not registering in my brain that way. <laughs> Laugh a little bit, right? I'm telling you, like I'm like that's not. I had no idea that's what you meant, right? I mean that's real, right? I'm glad you're all laughing. But imagine if we lived in a world like that. But the fact is, is that our original premise is God, and He spoke. He started words. It started in a place and he actually meant something by a word and Adam and Eve knew what he meant. That started the ball rolling. Do you see that? That's why God is the fundamental. I mean, you can't even make sense of a world if we don't have a fixed point of a personal infinite God. You can't make sense of this world. Sorry, I'm going to get preaching. He's the sovereign creator. Out of his pleasure and freedom, the infinite God created and sustains us. Therefore, we are utterly dependent upon him for everything we have, right down to our very breath. We have no inherent rights except those that God gives us. God is known as holy, which means he is completely set aside and other. Nothing can compare with him. He is perfection. His essence is love and goodness. His holy essence is the standard of right and wrong. He is just, loving, and all-powerful over his creation. So, sovereign, infinite Creator. Isaiah 6.3, and one called out to the other, remember this, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. The whole earth is full of his glory. Psalm 103, know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. We're creatures. We'll get to that. We're not God. Not even close. He's also... Not just the sovereign creator, he's the personal creator. While God is completely other, he's also personal. Which, by the way, is contrary to the understanding of God and Islam. J.D. mentioned I've spent a lot of time the last six, five or six years over in Africa and Egypt with some men from over there. I'm kind of like the only white American guy there. And uh, their specialty is Islam. They have PhDs in Islamic studies. And we teach the church to think about this. The Islamic God is not personal very different from how we think of God. So, when we say G-O-D, you can put a lot of stuff into that. We're saying God is completely other, but he's personal. This is why our world is full of personality. I don't know if you ever thought about it. If you walked into a room and saw Scrabble pieces on a table spelling some famous poem or some, you know, Shakespearean something, you would say, someone's been messing around. Someone's been in here. Well, the cosmos around us is profoundly synchronized. Consider the life and birth cycles of birds and animals to the seasons, to the winter dormancy, followed by the new growth of leaves and seeds just in time for diverse animals and birth. All that we know is amazing that diversity. is symphonic unity. It all fits together. Think about it. All, all those individual birds and then individual species and individual nesting and individual nests and all this incredible, incredible diversity, and yet it all synchronizes and does the same thing. You know, our leaves fall off in the fall here. You can go anywhere in the whole world, and when it's fall time, leaves are falling off. And leaves are falling off, and birds are moving certain places, and animals are storing food, and boom boom, 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 boom. you guys can tell I'm an outdoorsy guy, so all that stuff just clicks for me. I'm like, how could that possibly happen? So you got to sit back and go, someone's been messing around. <laughs> right? We can debate all the details of how he messed around, but I'm telling you, someone's been messing around. Right? All that we know is amazing that diversity It's symphonic unity. This reflects God himself as the creator who is perfect in unity and diversity. It's a reflection of the Trinity. Meaning perfect in community and relationship. This also means he communicates. As we already mentioned, is the source of all we recognize as personal and relational. He made us for communion with him. Man will find his ultimate joy and purpose in the right relationship with his creator in this, man will find his greatest delight in worshiping and honoring God as the source of all reality. We're going to do that this morning. We're going to sit here this morning just sing and think, oh, I'm still breathing. My mind's still working this morning. I actually can think this morning. I mean, I've had health issues in my life sometimes. My brain wasn't working right you all. I mean, it was, some of you have experienced those sort of things. Like, I don't have any guarantee. I have no guarantee, yet I can sit here and look at you all this morning and love you and enjoy you and communicate with you And there's only one reason why. God's allowing it right now. And he could go, boop, it's going to be gone. Personal creator. Think of Paul when he came in. This is a fascinating passage when he came into um, Athens. Because when he came into Athens, there were all these philosophers trying to figure out. They actually were. This is fun. When you start studying this and getting into this, you realize, wow. Like, they were studying really important questions. Like, what's the first domino? Like, what started this whole thing? They would look at a river, for example. They would look at a river, these early philosophers. There were different names for these different types of philosophies. But think about this, and I've, I've literally run into people in Lawrence, studying at the university, who believe some of the things I'm about to tell you. Okay? So they would look at a river, and it's moving, right? It's flowing. And they'd say, where's the real river? Because when I touch that river, pull my finger off, and I touch it again, it's a different river. It's a different river. It's a different river. It's in motion. How can you ever touch the foundational, original one? Say, you can't. So guess what? One of the conclusions of those philosophies is everything is an illusion. There's nothing real. I had a young guy, we used to, I've done a lot of things in Lawrence over the years, but we would meet at one of the sports bars and grills once a week, every week, and Christian guys would bring their non-Christian buddies, and we would just have conversations around, you know, whatever they drank. I usually, I'm a Dr. Pepper Burger guy, you know, and, we would have these conversations. One night I was sitting up there. We were at the big barbecue on that Iowa, you know. And this young guy said, he, he was convinced everything was an illusion. And I actually finally got frustrated. I have to be honest. I got kind of angry. I'm sure they all saw it. And he, some of you have seen me doing that. And my wife always warns me, and I get embarrassed. I'm like, eh, hey, I, I get ticked off. It's so anyway, I, gr- I go and grab my guy by the shoulder. I said, that's it. He says, what, what? I says, we're going out in Iowa and you're going to stand in the middle of that road, and you're going to tell me that those cars coming at you are nothing more than an illusion, and you're not moving. I can't do that. I'm like, why? Because that's silly. You live in a real world where there's real cars coming at you, and your illusion idea doesn't fit the real world. And he sat down, and we didn't have to discuss that anymore. (laughs) (laughs) But Paul's going into this Areopagus, and he knows... The questions they're asking, that's what you have to understand. He knows that they're trying to figure this stuff out. They actually are. They're following breadcrumbs that God has put out there. Okay? And he goes in there and he says, Men of Athens, I see that you are very religious in all respects, for while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Now, part of the reason they did that is they believed that there could be multiplicity of gods. They were very polytheistic, okay? Well, they were worried they might not represent one of the gods well enough. So if that god happened to show up, they go, Oh, no, we got one for you. (laughs) That was was part of their thinking. So therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything that is in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made by hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. What have we been talking about this morning already, right? And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God if perhaps they might feel around for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. Some of your versions will say in him Right? We live and move and have our being. Now, See, that's the philosophical question they're asking. Where did this animation, where did humanity come from? It's in this flow. Is it an illusion? Where does it come from? He's, ah, here, here's your answer. In him we live and move and exist, as even some of your own poets have said, or their thinkers, for we also are his descendants. Therefore, since we are the descendants of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by human skill and thought, so having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now, here we go, proclaiming to you goes right into preaching. Mankind that all people everywhere are to repent, turn from their sin, because he has set a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all people by raising him from the dead. You see what he did? He started where they were at, the questions they were asking. He navigated that whole water, and he took them right to, here's the creator. Here's the gospel. Isn't that awesome? That's fun stuff. All right. The main point. God has an absolute claim on our lives as our personal infinite creator. Even this rightful claim is expressed through the perfect love. We were created to reflect and enjoy him. So you have this question. Since God's wonderful character, his right as creator his blessing his warnings are all designed to remind us of his loving ownership of us why don't we love him in return why do we choose to ignore the fact that we are dependent on him and choose to live the way we want so what i just went through you could say was point one of the gospel it's god who is god you start with the creator you start with who he is who is God? And you can imagine there's all sorts of theology behind that. I'm, I'm the president. I'm nip- you, know, all. you start with God. People need to know who God is. And it's not just three letters G-O-D. It's what you put into it. Because you could go through our culture and talk about God, and you're going to find all sorts of definitions and ideas about God. Seriously. People use God all the time. They mean something very different. And so the gospel, the good news, starts with a proclamation of who is God. Got it? Good? Read, you, read your Bible, right? I could say, read these verses, but just read your Bible. <laughs> okay, secondly, we'll see what we can get through here. Second thing is, we have to think about man, divinely created with dignity. We are amazing, amazing creatures. We are creatures, but we're amazing. Yet, broken, the sinful creature. Divinely created good. Man was created in God's image. You guys remember this. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every crawling thing that crawls on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And you remember what he said? It is very good. Right? Everything else was pretty good. We're, I wish I would have put it on here. He, we are. Very good. Remember that. Of all people who should have a high view of humanity, it should be Christians. Really. You could even use the word humanist. As soon as you put an ist on it or an ism, it turns into an ideology and study. But truly, as a humanist, a person who highly appraises the high view of human beings, it should be Christians. The worst people. You know, I had experience with somebody this last week, literally at my house drunk, screaming at me, cussing at me. He was created in the image of God. I can be pretty upset at Adam, but you're almost talking to God Himself, just a little bit lower than the angels, right? Even in His sin, even depraved, even who He was. It's like, we should have a huge, high view of humanity, a high view of life. Could go down that road. But we, of all people, we should understand that. What does this mean? Well, it certainly can mean much more, but it can't mean less than man is personal that is he is self reflective conscious self determined he is free to act man is not programmed man is not pro- he's not a program machine now he's limited right man is finite okay yes man is free he's not programmed but he's finite not ultimately free like God. He's not autonomous. Free—that That is, man has a will to control, rise above. Well, I say here, yet in part self-transcendent. It means you can rise above. That is, man has a will to control, rise above his character, and even to some degree, his own environment. Example, someone cuts cuts me off in traffic. Do I have to curse? Do I have to forgive? I may or may not. Do I have to smile? I may or may not. Now, this is really a big thing. This has been coming up in our college students. A number of our college students have asked this, some of these similar questions the last few weeks. The real me, follow through with me here. We might have to end here this morning because this will make your brain hurt maybe. The real me is free to act within the constraints of a finite being. As finite, I have limited freedom, but I also am not a machine. I do not simply respond as a doorbell responds to a pushed button. The real me is beyond my body, which is another th- issue that's going on in our culture, and the college students have been bringing this up. The real me is beyond my body. You could amputate my lower extremities and I'm still me. I tell them that, think about that. I'm standing here before you right now and if like six months from now, I I returned and I'm a member here, but you know, if I was gone, I came back and I was in a wheelchair and my lower body was missing. Terrible accident, this awful thing happened. Am I half a Dan? Or am 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 I the same Dan that was here before? Who am I? I'm more than my body. I'm more than my body. When I say, my hand hurts, think about this. We talk this way every day. Again, your words reveal this. When I say, my hand hurts, I have a headache. Who is the my in that sentence? Ever thought about it? I have a headache. I, Dan, happen to have a body and happen to have a head. My head's hurting today. But I'm talking as though my body is different than me. We do this every day. Some of us, you know, Al Nagin and I have been friends for 25 years and we're watching each other get older. Our bodies are changing. We're the same guys we were fundamentally. (laughs) But you guys know it's kind of a bizarre experience getting older. Because you're like, I'm the same person I was inside here. But I look in the mirror and I'm not the same. I'm not the same. (laughs) I got too many jokes about that. I remember one time, I have to tell you, just a few years ago, I was speaking for a Young Life camp down in southern Missouri, this big deal they were doing. That was their key guy that was coming to do the thing. And, <laughs> and they said, we need some pictures of you. And I'm like, well, go to the you know, AFCI website. There's some pictures on me. And they're like, yeah, but you don't look like that anymore. <laughs> I was like, oh. They were serious. I looked at it. I thought, well, isn't that just me? (laughs) No, no. (laughs) So the real me is beyond my body. You could amputate lower extremities, and I'm still me. When I say my hand hurts, who is my in that sense? I am a person who happens to have a body. This is all in stark contrast to the predominant view in our society that suggests man is a natural, physical product of evolution, and thus a programmed piece of machinery. In bondage to chemicals and chance, I am born this way. Hey, Tell them how I've been programmed. Actually, there's no freedom in that, believe it or not. Atheistic philosophers today do not believe in human freedom like we believe in freedom. They're a programmed bunch of chemicals. I was literally on a plane coming back from Egypt. This will be my last story for you, and then we'll jump off next week here. Uh, I was on a plane coming back from Egypt, sitting next to a guy that was a neurosurgeon. Young guy, neat guy from uh, New York. Had a wonderful conversation with him. Very tender guy. And he was there training Egyptians in medicine. And I found it fascinating. We began to talk. And, you know, I don't remember how we got into it. I just, you know, you ask questions, and the next thing you know, you're into some important things. And he said, no, I th- really think we're just a brain of chemicals. And the chemicals work around, and they tell us what to do, and we're just a piece of machinery. He actually believed that. So he had told me about his wife and his daughter. And he said, you know, I'd like to think that there is, it really is this thing with my wife. You know, like she's the soulmate. Like this love thing is really, really real. Like I love her, but I think it's just chemicals. And he kind of had this sad look on his face. And then we began talking about his daughter. I said, really? And so we could talk about it. And I said, well, what about your daughter? You're on the top of a cliff. And I said, if the chemicals, it's just chemicals, there really would be no different, and I, don't, I hate to say it, but there would be no different from you holding your daughter and making sure she doesn't fall off the cliff or you pushing her off the cliff. just what the chemicals do. There's really no difference. And he says, you're right. He says, I just hope the chemicals tell me to hang, to hang on to her. Now imagine the emptiness and loneliness in that guy's life. See, you could say, what a stupid view, but man, I grieve for the guy. Can you imagine that? Walking every day thinking, love's not real. Relationship's not real. I'm just a programmed piece of machinery, and I'm just doing what the machinery tells me to do. Zero life. What an opportunity for the gospel. I had a wonderful opportunity to talk to him and send him some material. So let's just step back two steps so we can close up here for today. What we're at, the point we're at right now is we're talking about this divinely created person, a man, and we'll get to the point that he's broken. In fact, I got a couple minutes. Let's go. Man is personal. Let me keep going. Man is finite. Man has intelligence. Being finite means man does not have infinite repository or library of neutral information called reason. Man does have the capacity to observe his world, around him while gaining knowledge about it. It's not inherent in him. The knowledge is outside of him and he can access it. With this, man can draw reasonable conclusions that fit reality, has to fit reality. Man distinguishes order from chaos, left from right, up from down. Man understands morality. Man can recognize good and evil as contrasting and constraining forces. Good is real. Evil is real. Yet, those things are immaterial, interesting enough. I say this to the college students all the time. Can't tell you how many times they've been leveled at me. I can't believe in a God because of evil and suffering. But the person saying it to me is only a, is an atheistic materialist that doesn't believe in the, the non-material. So what are you talking about when you say evil? See, I believe in evil, but I don't believe it's a you know black cloud coming through the door back there and watch out. <laughs> but it's real, but it's immaterial. We believe that. And mankind knows that. That's the thing I want you to catch. Everybody knows it. Isn't that interesting? They're borrowing from my worldview that says there's an immaterial world that's very real and evil is something wrong and it's deviating from something good and holy and they want to use it and level it at me, but you've got to borrow it from my worldview to level it at me. Isn't that crazy? It's crazy. Man understands morality, right? Every human being knows that torturing a child for fun is evil. Any place, any time in history, you could walk in a room and say, do you think torturing that little child for fun would be evil? Everybody would say yes. And anybody that says no needs to be locked up. Not even afraid of saying that. There's something wrong with a person like that. that that's not intellectual. That's insane. Man recognizes justice. This is going to be the one, one of the big doorways of the day. The big hatchway to talk to people today. Has anyone ever gossiped told lies about you? Have you ever witnessed someone who was clearly guilty of some crime, yet they got off the charge? Does the act of child abuse, sexual abuse, slavery, holocaust bother you? Why? There's your question for your friends. Why does that bother you so much? It's all just a bunch of material stuff sloshing around in the water. What's the big problem? No. It's because of justice. Man created in God's image naturally understands justice. It's one of the early traits expressed by a child. That's not fair. Right? Well, that's not fair. You didn't spank them. They never had a class on ethics. They never had a class in some judicial legislation. They know. People know justice because we were made in God's image. The man is social. The man has capacity for relationship, companionship, community, communication, deeply recognized. I'll let you guys read some, through some of that. He's creative. He can imagine new things and even reshape, fabricate new things from other previous things. Okay? Psalm 8, 4, 6. What is man that you think of him? A son of man that you are concerned about him, yet you have made him a little lower than God. Just a little lower than God. And you crown him with glory and majesty. You have him rule over the works of your hands. You have put everything under his feet. Yeah, we'll come back next week. Let's stop right there. What a wonderful thing to think about. God, man, is an amazing created being. And next week, you know where we're going to go. There's something really wrong something we need to fix. Let me pray for us. Lord, thanks a lot. Look forward to worship here in about 15 minutes. Thank you for this wonderful worship we get to do when we look at your word and look what you've done in this room to open our eyes and minds and hearts to the reality of you and the gospel. It's stunning, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.